Welcome to the Consortium Podcast, an academic audio blog sponsored by Kepler Education. Kepler is a consortium of independent classical Christian teachers unified by a shared vision for student flourishing. I'm Scott Postma, your host, and today we have a great guest in our studio. He's a lecturer at New St. Andrews, a lecturer in rhetoric, uh, Brent Pinkall, and he's also the author of a brand new book, Redeeming the Six Arts. Brent, glad to have you in studio today. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, Brent, one of the things that we love to find out uh, about our guests when they come on the show is a little bit about your own education journey. And um, we find that there's a lot of common experiences, uh, but it's really interesting to see the unique aspects of, of how you came to classical education. Um, how did you pursue your own education? So maybe tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, well, I um, I got my undergrad from uh, Kansas State University in journalism and uh at the time, I uh, quickly realized that I wanted I wanted to to be involved in missions, mm. and uh, so after uh, graduating, I pursued um, church planting among Chinese Muslims, um, wow. and uh, and and did and pursued that for four years um, in China. And uh, there were a number of things that I I uh, really liked about that, but I realized some gifts that I had and some that I didn't have uh, <laughs> and uh, gifts that I had. I, I loved teaching um, uh, and the kind of the pastoral side of things was, was a, a bit more challenging to me. And, um, and I, at that time when I was in China, I discovered classical Christian education. Hmm. Um, Wait, so you discovered it while you were in while China? While I was in China. Well, okay. Yeah. Wow. Uh, this is going to be great. It started, it started with pastor Wilson, uh, Doug Wilson's blog uh and uh just kind of went from there um and as i was reading it was just i i had a lot of these kind of intuitions and thoughts uh you know be before and it was just all, all coming together um and so i asked myself i, I mean I, I i knew that this is this is what i made for this is what mm -hmm. i want to do um and uh so i i i thought man i don't want to leave china though mm -hmm. uh I, I have a heart for these people um and so I, I went on a quest to see, is anybody doing classical Christian education in China? Uh, and I found only one and only one uh, Christian, uh, one Chinese church, um, Chinese-led church um, there and uh, contacted them, uh, visited them, and uh, they were just starting a K-12 through school uh, with plans to start a college, um, kind of modeled off of New St. Andrews College. Uh, and I, and I said, this is exactly, you know, what I, what I, <laughs> this is just too perfect. Um, uh, and so we decided that I would, um, come to New St. Andrews and get my master's there with the, um, just trying to soak up as much as I can and, and, and feed it to them, um, while I was here. So, as I was studying, I was sending them regular emails. Oh, I learned this today, and here's these resources. <laughs> and uh, uh, so they were kind of learning along with me. And uh, and then I went back to China um, and um, taught full time at this this uh, new college that I uh, helped them start. And uh, and then have been working with them for um, since so for the past five five or so years. Uh, and uh, spent uh, much of that time there in China. Uh, I'm back in the U.S. now, uh, working online with them, but I'm still hoping to go back again sometime. So that's kind of the journey I went on, uh, and 
and now, yeah, now I'm, I have the privilege of actually teaching at New St. Andrews um, while I'm here. And so that's been really delightful. Well, this is fascinating. The, the journey that you'd go to, to China to learn about, you know, and, and discover classical education there. Uh, but it sounds like it sort of was the, you know, scratching the itch that, you know, you kind of felt like there's something here, you, th- these things you were intuiting. Um, with your, uh, your your mission experience, how long were you on the mission field? And and I know that we want to be you know uh, sensitive about some of the the conversations we're having around this. But could you tell us how long you were there? And- yeah, I was I was in China for eight to nine years. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you know, I when you're like here in the U.S., I'm still doing a lot of work there, teaching and and whatnot online. Um, and so you know, do you count that as mission work? Mm-hmm. But I, uh, but yeah, eight or nine years on the on the ground there, so it was enough time to kind of get a sense of you know the state of Christian education uh, and the Chinese church and, um, but yeah, I'm still. I mean, I'm a foreigner. I'm an American, <laughs> and so I'm still learning all the time. There's, uh, man, China is such a complex country, and we we talk about you know Chinese people as this one group of people, but there are so many different you know even just minority groups and. Um, Every part of China, the, the politics is different, and it's, so it's it's a really complex place to kind of get your mind around. But that's fascinating. I mean, folks who live in the United States would recognize that there's probably four sort of unique or distinct regions of the country that have you know some some differences when you when you look at the Southwest versus New England or Pacific Northwest or the the, mm-hmm. the South um, or even the Midwest so there's you know we can see those distinctions but then when you you say as we think about China we just think about this one you right. know, conglomerate <laughs> they're all yeah everybody's the same um, now I'm I'm assuming you're fluent or you you studied Chinese did you study there or yeah before? I studied there full-time for I studied at a college there full-time for two years um, and uh, and then just keep studying. I mean, I'm still learning. Uh, but I I use the term fluent like lightly. I found that <laughs> Americans use the term like when when it's about an American learning another language, we we quickly tack on fluent. Uh, but uh, it's uh, I would describe myself as proficient. So I teach I teach all my classes in Chinese. I can get around in China, but uh, you could still tell I'm American by <laughs> listening to you know how I, how I talk. Well, do you do you um... Do you recognize? Yeah, I mean, you obviously recognize the distinctions of different, you know, classes and different cultures within China itself. The complexity there. Mm-hmm. Um, does that, uh, you know, relate to the different dialects or or the different, um, you yeah. know, way people speak? Yeah, yeah. There's there's um, a lot of a lot of different dialects. Some of these are entirely different languages. Um, thankfully, though, everybody for the most part can at least speak mandarin mm-hmm. um and so that's that's the one that i learned um okay and when there yeah when there's a communication barrier we just speak in mandarin and we can get by okay <laughs> that, that works yeah well one of the great uh things that you have done recently at least in my opinion and one of the reasons i wanted to have you on the show is obviously you have written a book redeeming the six arts and as i understand this came out of some of your dissertation work or developed out mm-hmm. of that can you talk a little bit about this book? Obviously, you've got a passion for classical education, the Chinese people, and you're advocating for redeeming the six arts. Yeah. So I, um, when I first uh, got into, uh, first started kind of um, canvassing the terrain of classical Christian education in China, um, I mean, it, it was it was a very new idea. And again, like I could only find this one Chinese church that was doing it. Um, 
And since then, I've learned there's about one or two others that were kind of experimenting about the same time. Um, but uh, I discovered that for the most part, the approach was uh, kind of a cookie cutter approach. Hmm. So we, we, you know, like, what are the schools in America doing? I mean, they're, they're seeing this, you know, this kind of renewal, uh, you know, takeoff in, in America. And they want to be part of it. And, uh, and so, you know, let's go find, a, you know, a really, uh, you know, a, a school who's, but that's been around for a while. Logos School was a, was a favorite. Um, and let's, you know, find their reading lists. Let's, you know, find all the classes they have and just do the same thing. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and, you know, elements, you, you can still learn that way. There's things you can learn, but uh, it also... Uh, I quickly kind of realized, yeah, that, that's not the best way to go about this. Um, and, uh, and so my, when I came to NSA then, I mean, I'd already had these, I'd, I'd already been mulling over this, this, this problem. Um, and uh, I, uh, I remember one time hearing Pastor Wilson, uh, Doug Wilson, say something. Uh, he was talking about the fifth commandment. Um, and uh, it was... It, when something like this, um, if you see somebody honoring their father, uh, you know, obeying the fifth commandment, and you want to imitate them, um, you don't do so by honoring their father, like uh, honoring that man's father, yeah. right? Uh, you do so by honoring your own father. And, um, and that really clicked with just a lot of my intuitions. What I saw on the ground in China was them honoring our our fathers mm -hmm. uh and uh um but kind of <laughs> giving the cold shoulder to their own uh and by the cold shoulder um it's it, it isn't it is helpful to understand kind of the the political uh context and the historical context um uh in china here in, in the um, when the communists took over um they're uh one of the big things that they're known for is a cultural revolution, mm -hmm. right? Um, and this is, this took place in the 1960s. Um, and one of the, the sort of slogans of this was destroy the four, the four olds. Uh -huh. uh, and the four olds were um, old culture, old ideas, old customs, and old, uh, I forget the fourth one now. Um, but uh, basically just, you know, just destroy old culture and we're going to start something new, this new progressive, um, yeah, this new progressive movement. Um, and it was in that movement that the, the, the great re Christian revival took place, um, in mm. the countryside. So, you know, a lot of these intellectuals, you know, were, were forced out to the countryside, you know, these labor camps. And, uh, it was during this time when there's this, you know, giant revival. Um, and so, uh, nowadays, um, many, especially conservative Christians in China, will kind of associate revival with sort of destroying the traditional, you know, Confucian culture. And, and Interesting. Like, and so, you know, if, if we want revival, if we want, you know, the gospel to take root here, well, you know, Confucianism, you know, this is the, this is the, the great obstacle, this is the great idol, and so we destroyed it. So there's just ingrained in... Um, this isn't the case with progressive Christians in China. Progressive Christians in China are are much more open to sort of the Chinese classical tradition. But for conservatives, you know, very much when they hear Confucius, um, uh, they just think you know pagan 
idolater, uh, and they want to just, just, you know, again, destroy their four olds. Um, and, uh, and so they, you know, they get really excited about, you know, ancient Greece, you know, Plato and Aristotle, <laughs> but mentioned Confucius. Oh no, no, no. pagan <laughs> as if Plato and Plato Aristotle weren't work. pagan. Um, and so, um, uh, and so I, I, uh, I wrote this, I, I, what I wasn't a book in the first place in the beginning, it was, yeah, it was a dissertation. Um, uh, and I, I wanted to, um, first kind of flesh out. Uh, how did the Western tradition develop? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it wasn't just a group of you know Christians in the Middle Ages just get together and just you know decide you know just <laughs> you know sort of start writing these these Christian textbooks on you know Christian education. No, they they inherited mm-hmm. a tradition, a, a, a heritage um, from their pagan forefathers and and the great you know the um, the great conversation, uh, if you will, that 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 uh, they didn't they didn't start this great conversation. They joined the great conversation, right, right, and they started asking themselves, "All right, which aspects of of this pagan tradition can we redeem? Which aspects should we reject?" Um, and and so I I uh, I wanted to encourage the Chinese Church to do the same thing with their own Chinese classical tradition, um, and that. Um, I should note the Jesuits. Um, so there was there was an, an, a relatively early missionary movement. It was kind of the first one in the seventh century or so. Um, the Nestorians went to China, and there was, it was kind of a short-lived thing. And that was many people think kind of point to that as kind of the first real entrance of the gospel in China. Uh, but that died out when the, the emperor suppressed it. And um, then the next kind of big move was in the sixteenth century. Um, when the Jesuits, uh, especially the most famous one is Matteo Ricci, mm. um, went to China, and they actually re- um, they had a really robust uh, uh, sort of understanding of of Christian classical Christian education. They didn't call it that obviously at the time, but uh, Christian education, which um, was harmonious with kind of the West, the what we considered the classical, the Western classical Christian tradition. And so they were doing this kind of work in the 16th century, um, you know, um, studying the Chinese classics and, you know, asking these questions, you know, how, well, what, what, how does the gospel bear on this? Um, and of course they, they erred sometimes and, uh, and, uh, you know, they were a little bit more, um, open to some, some things that the Protestants, when the Protestant mm-hmm. missionaries came, uh, you know, they were more willing to critique some bad aspects of classical, uh, the Chinese classical tradition. Um, but this isn't, <clears throat> you know, I don't want to make it out, make suggest like I'm doing some, like suggesting something new, like that nobody has done before. The the Jesuits did it then. Um, even the early Protestant missionaries in the 19th century, um, you know, took this approach. But really, since the, yeah, I mean, the Cultural Revolution and uh, um, and even a little bit before that was something called the the May Fourth Movement and. Early twentieth century, um, the Christians have have kind of lost this this approach. Yeah. Um, and and uh, and so I'm I'm just kind of advocating to yeah let's recover this and um, and and so I started with a dissertation uh, and then that as I went after I graduated got my master's I went back to China and then fleshed this out even more as I. I did my own experiments and you know spoke with more Christian scholars and things like that. So, 
That's fascinating. Just to put this in a little bit of context for our listeners, what um, what I'm hearing you say that uh, what you're advocating for, obviously in the renewal of classical education the last 30 years here in the U.S., you're saying the same thing could happen there, you know, but looking at their fa- them looking at their fathers the way the early Christians looked at, you know, the Western tradition, the fathers of the Western tradition being pagan. Right. And so idealism, interestingly enough, idealism, Platonic idealism and Christianity had a lot in common, mm-hmm. so much so that Augustine said it was the Platonists, right, that brought right. him to faith against the Manichaeans. And, and so the idea that there was a conversation meant <clears> – <throat> That there were some uh, who, you know, some of the Gnostics had kind of syncretized and blended Christian, you know, things and uh, Platonic idealism. But then there were those who said, no, you know, here's what we can redeem and here's what we cannot redeem. And so this is part of the, the early conversation of the church. And you're saying the Chinese should be doing, Chinese Christians should be doing the exact same thing with like the Tao and, and some of these other right. principles that, that you mentioned there. That's it. Um, so what what are the six arts? Can you tell us what they are and, and explain, um, you know, just to kind of put in context, is there any overlap? Is it similar at all to the Western liberal arts? What, what are yeah. they? So um, the six arts, uh, this is really the foundation of the Chinese classical uh, education tradition. Um, and it goes goes back, I mean, three, four thousand years. And it's, it's, it's older than even the, you know, the kind of the, the seven arts tradition in the West. Mm. Um, so the, the six arts are, are, um, usually understood in pairs. Okay. So the first pair is, um, rites and music, rites and music that are R-I-T-E-S. Um, and, um, uh, the concept of rites is really foundational to Confucianism. Mm. Um, rites, um, are not just, um, you know, elaborate ceremonies, um, they are also they go down to you know the the, the sort of minutia of daily of, of the social social life um, and so you know something as simple as you know, in our context a handshake mm-hmm. okay. um, like what is a handshake it, it it doesn't have any I mean it, it doesn't serve a, a practical value if you will there's more going I mean uh, you know we can meet each other without shaking hands <laughs> right. um, so why do we why do we do it um, and uh, the the Confucians um, recognize like there's something really um really important that happens when in our context again they didn't, i don't think they shook hands in, in ancient china they had their own ways of, of greeting people but um um it's shaping our hearts and um when um uh well i think it might be helpful here to like uh reference plato um so in uh in the sort of platonic tradition um you have this idea of music education. Mm-hmm. Uh, rites and music is kind of the Chinese version of music education. Um, uh, the the similarity um, is in the the, the purpose of of uh, rites and music education, which which is to shape our um, what they would what the ancient classics uh, Chinese classics called likings and dislikings. <laughs> um, but our our sentiments, mm-hmm. um, our values, and in the Greek tradition, um, the music education is primarily um, story mm-hmm. and music, the the you know, sort of audible audible music, and and so you before the child's um, intellect is developed, uh, you you know you tell them 
tell them stories and have them listen to you know beautiful, true, good music. Um, and by inculcating them in this, they sort of instinctively just develop a taste for mm-hmm. the good, the true, and the beautiful. Um, and so you know, Plato was very particular about you know, you know they should listen to these kinds of stories and not these kinds of stories because these kinds of stories will inculcate these bad you know bad uh, sentiments that um you know will make them to love the ugly and we don't want that um and then after their intellects develop um then they they sort of come and complement the the foundation the children you know child already know like already senses what's good and 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 beautiful and what isn't and then the intellect comes alongside you know, uh aside the heart if you will and um uh basically explain it gives students the the causes you know and the explains for students well why is this beautiful uh, and allows them to answer kind of answer that why question yeah. but before you get to the why question you need just the foundational like this is the case this yeah. is beautiful this is not beautiful and so in the greek tradition it was mainly music and and story in the chinese tradition it was music and rites and and so um and we can see this again like um you know i i like to use the example of Boys opening the door for girls. Yeah, right. So um, uh, when we teach our, you know, the little boys to open the door for their girl classmates, what's what's going on? Why are we doing that? Well, um, we're trying to instill in these boys a respect for women, mm-hmm. um, uh, and also to to get some sense of their like as men their their purpose on earth. Like what. Um, you know what is their role as as men? It's um, you know even as 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 protectors, as, as you know to to love and and cherish and honor uh, you know their future wives and and even even women women in general. And so by opening the door for their classmates daily um, and and just developing this this habit, they instinctively learn that you know women are are worth valuing. Uh, and I should lay down my life for them, you know, first. And and uh, now we don't treat, we don't teach children this um, necessarily in propositional truth in the beginning. Right, uh, we right. just <laughs> we just we just have them start going through these habits, and and then later when we when they're able to process propositional truth, it will make sense. Ah, okay, yeah, that makes sense because I already feel like I should respect them, mm-hmm. and now I kind of understand why why I do this, um, and. And so for the Confucians, rights um, were the ordering principle of society. This is how um, we, um, we ensure that, you know, everybody doesn't just follow their own, yeah, their, <laughs> own uh, their own hearts, if you will. Um, but uh, they, the, the Chinese uh, frequently use the, the term um, restraints, so mm. the restraints of rights. Yeah. So it restrains them, you know, they're naturally... Without the restraints of rights, we will kill our neighbor. <laughs> Society would just collapse. And so restraints, rights helps to restrain, restrain us um, and, um, and teach us what is, what is good and, and true and beautiful. And then music has the, uh, does something similar. Um, I, would, I would say it's the exact same idea as the Greek idea of music, which it's shaping our, our souls um, uh, and so that's the that's kind of the 
rights and music. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, rights rights sounds like we would use the term like manners and customs, right? Mm-hmm. And and I heard once uh, somebody say that you know using manners is loving your neighbor in the details. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, this yeah. is it's it's an extension of the gospel in, in the way that we should you know love and respect each other. So this is this is what cultivates in society is what you're saying, like the Greeks um, and and it you know, was redeemed by the Christians using this idea of how do we, you know, order society in such a way that is, you know, advocating for virtue and what is wisest and and what is best for human flourishing. Right. Um, And so that's what rights are in the Chinese and then the music also. So, yeah, this is something that um, the idea of the muses and and the various ways that story shapes us. And and that's fascinating because we could do a whole episode just on that. But, okay, so that's the two. And I just want to, Clarify one thing, because uh, one common misunderstanding about the, the Confucian idea of rights is it's just it's just a works righteousness. Like you just just go do these things and all will be well. But um, their understanding is much um, now they they weren't Christians, um, but um, it's uh, it's much more nuanced. Um, um, so you you get Confucius condemning people who follow rights, but their hearts are disordered. Mm. Um, and so what we, we could. Uh, we could compare this to, you know, the boy who opens the door for his female classmate, <laughs> but just grimaces as she walks by. To hates, you know, he, he hates her in his heart, uh, and um, so it's not enough. Um, and and the Confucian classics routinely point this: like it's not enough just to, um, you know, open the door for the classmate. Um, <laughs> no, our, no Eddie Haskell's right. I mean, right. I'm probably dating <laughs> myself, but you know, yes, uh, yeah. Uh, and so. Uh, so there's so underlying the whole Confucian tradition is um, uh, more than anything like the the highest value in the Confucian tradition is called, is called ren, mm. um, and it's really hard to translate. Sometimes it's translated as benevolence, sometimes as humanity, um, but it's this it's a moral principle, um, and it's it's the highest sort of ethical ideal in in Confucianism, and it entails love. Sometimes it's equated with love. Um, and so all of the all of the six arts um, exist to help us uh, pursue ren and become renja, literally um, um, lovers. <laughs> uh, and uh, and so uh, yeah, so so these are um, these help to supplement that, but it's not enough just to go through the motions. Uh, and uh, and frequently the you know the. You know, Confucian scholars will will criticize each other for just kind of having the form mm-hmm. of a what they would call a junz, a gentleman, um, but not the substance. So, yeah. So that's that's rights and music. Now, the um, second pair is script uh, and calculation. Um, so, script uh, is essentially language um, mm-hmm. uh, language study, and uh, the Chinese. Um, more than the West, um, and really emphasize the written word. Um, so in the West, you have this, you know, big emphasis on, on the spoken word. So like the rhetorical tradition in the West mm-hmm. is primarily oratory. Um, and then writing is kind of comes along later. And even like, you know, Plato and Socrates are kind of suspect of, you know, the, the value yes. of writing. And, um, but in the, in the Chinese tradition, it was, the writing was kind of fundamental, um, largely because they, um, there were so many different dialects in ancient China that um, people couldn't understand each other in the spoken word, but they used the same script, the same mm. written word. And so uh, 
Um, so uh, script is um, language study, learning how to write and read. Um, and, um, and this is closely tied to um, the concept of when. Um, and when is uh, often translated as a, a pattern. Um, and so in the Chinese mind, there's um, everything in nature has its own when. Um, and so there's like a when of the heavens, which is um, Tianwen. Uh, and this is, this is the word they use for astro- astronomy. Okay. So oh, interesting. Uh, astronomy is the when of heavens and you have the when of earth, which is geology. Uh, and so um, there's um, everything has its own when and animals each have their own when. And the, the when is the kind of the, the characteristic um, pattern of the thing. And, and so with, you know, with the, astronomy would be the you know the movement of the stars mm-hmm. like that's their pattern that's their win the thing that sets them apart now and maybe i'm imposing something here so f- very feel very free to correct me if i've got mm-hmm. this wrong but that sounds very aristotelian in terms of his you know rejection of plato's idealism that that the pattern or if you will the form right. of the thing is yeah. in the thing itself so everything has its own ontological form is that yeah, similar uh, yeah or? scholars have 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 drawn those comparisons okay, with, okay. with aristotle yeah so it's a, it's a similar it's a similar idea um but the um then the question is well what is the when of man mm. um oh that's awesome that's good yeah uh, and for them it was language mm. um so that's what that's the sort of characteristic distinctive mark um and the term that um we that is uh Usually, the, the word humanities mm-hmm. um, is translated into Chinese as the when of man. So, ren wen. Um, and, uh, and so, when is um, very simply, you can just translate it as literature, but uh, in, in uh, literature um, in modern Chinese is wen xue, so the study of when is, is um, but it's, it's specifically the study of, of the when of man. Uh, but in just modern modern parlance, they just say win the the study of win, um, and so script enables us to um, read and access uh, win, um, and now um, uh, um, I've I should have probably mentioned this uh, earlier with 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 rights and music, but um, what the the thing that we're seeking. So I mentioned we're seeking moral cultivation, Ren. Uh, we're seeking this this benevolence, this humanity. We wanna we wanna become you know full fully fledged moral um, human beings. But we do this by um, by pursuing the Tao. Um, mm-hmm. And you've uh, uh, sometimes it's it's uh, translated Tao, um, mm-hmm. but it's Tao and uh, the Tao. Um, there's different in in the Chinese philosophical tradition, there's some different kind of uh, nuances in different schools of thought of like what the Tao is. Mm-hmm. Um, so in Taoism, it's, it's, a, it's much more, the emphasis is much more on the creative, it's the creative force of the universe, the thing that brought everything into existence. Um, in Confucianism, it's, it's got, uh, the emphasis is more on the, the ethical um, side of the Tao, but it's that, um, the natural law kind of, uh, kind of idea. Um, and uh, but we pursue the Tao, this this force that's just giving life to the universe. We pursue the Tao in education, um, and uh, and the six arts help us to help us to to do that. Um, and so back to when, um, um, uh, so there's a a really famous uh, I'm forgetting now. Uh, I think he's fifth century um, 
a Chinese scholar called Liu Xie, uh, who uh, wrote this famous work um, uh, called uh, the, "On the Literary uh, Something Like the Literary Mind on the Literary Mind and the Carving of Dragons." Oh, <laughs> that so yeah! Doesn't that sound amazing? Uh, and uh, yeah, there's just that's one thing I love about Chinese language is there's just they got some really great, uh, really beautiful just images and. Um, Chinese poetry is like that as well. Um, and in this book, he, he considers just the value. He's trying to... Um, so before him, some Confucians treated Wen as just kind of an accessory. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, there was a, you know, they would compare Wen, like a, a Wen of a tiger. They would say it's, the skin, it's just the skin of the tiger, but the substance of the tiger is what's underneath the skin. Mm. And so Wen was sometimes just thought of as... As yeah, just a kind of an accessory, and uh, but um, Liu Xie tried to kind of elevate the value of Wen and said, No, this is like at the heart of what it means to be human. Um, uh, and uh, and it's um, and the, and how he did that is he said, The Tao, how does the Tao make itself known to man? Um, it's primarily through words, through language, mm. um, and so the sages, um, they, they saw the Tao, they intuited the Tao, and then they make the Tao manifest through their Wen. And so they write these, mm-hmm. these writings. Um, and so without knowledge of Wen, without knowledge of language, you can't know the Tao. You can't access the Tao. Now, um, I, forgive me, I'm, yeah. I'm jumping in and interrupting you here, That's but fine. I cannot help but, um, you know, and again, maybe I'm imposing something here, but I cannot help but think of John 1 uh, as you're talking about yes. this, that this Logos becomes yeah. f- incarnate. What, yeah. Is that, am I on the right track? Or yeah, is, I mean, uh, uh, this is what gets me so excited. It's, okay. <laughs> Uh, so as you as you canvas sort of the history of Chinese classical tradition, you see God, like just God and His providence, mm-hmm. just getting the soil just ready for the gospel. Yeah. Um, and and what's um, and what's uh, really interesting too with the, you know, there's just so many things that we could talk about here. But um, the uh, in the Taoist tradition, uh, it was it. Uh, one of the principal ideas of the Tao is that the Tao cannot be named. The, the, the Tao that can be named is not the Tao. Mm. Um, <laughs> and, and so the, the Tao is just this very ethereal thing. And as soon as you say that, you know, you, you, you've seen the Tao, you know the Tao, well, that's not the Tao. Yeah. Um, and, and, of, and, and so then, you know, imagine the thought of a Taoist, you know, the thought of these, um, uh, uh, you know, these, of these ancient Chinese, when the, when the gospel first comes, and they read uh, in the, the the Chinese in the Chinese Bible, uh, John one. Here's how it here's how it goes. Uh, in the beginning was the Tao, <laughs> and the Tao was with God, and the Tao was God. And then here's the real kicker: and the Tao became flesh. Oh wow! Oh, the Tao what? became flesh. The Tao can't become flesh. <laughs> how can the Tao become flesh? The Tao that can be named is not named, and his name was Jesus. What? <laughs> um, and so this, uh, in some ways, you know, this this sort of just completely demolished the the understanding of of the Tao. But in another in another way, it entirely. I mean, when you again, when you look at the scripture, I mean, this is <laughs> the the sentiment is the same in scripture. Like you know, um, who has seen the Lord? You know, um, there is this 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 
you know, God is described in Scripture as as you know, um, you know, he's he's not uh, he's not like us, yeah. right? And he's he's you know far above us, and and uh, you know we can't nobody we can't contain the idea of God, um, and so there's this element, but then there's this this other element of the incarnation, and the Tao becomes flesh and dwells among us, and we have seen his glory, and um, and so this. Uh, uh, you know, there's two kind of possible reactions to this, as there always is with Christ, right? <laughs> it's it's either either just utter rejection, like how dare you claim to be the Tao, mm-hmm. um, or fall down on worship, right? Yeah, right. Um, and so, and of course, we see both of those things. Um, but um, and then and then uh, I mean, this idea of the sages, um, the 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 line and um, uh, that became quite popular it wasn't Liu Xie, it was a it was a later um, scholar, but he uh, he said uh, the wen carries the tao, and um, and of course in this Christian tradition, that is that is the case as well because God um, gives us a book, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, he uh, does. He he makes the tao known in language, in yeah. words, and and then of course you get you know people like Martin Luther saying you know this is why we need like the languages must be at the heart of education because. Yeah. How else are we going to, you know, communicate the gospel? Know the gospel? You know, it's it's this God has has given us to his through his word, um, and so uh, there's so many aspects of this just harmonize so well with the Chinese classical tradition. And so, so we study script in order to access to to access when, mm-hmm. and we 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 study when in order to discover the Tao. So that's script, and then calculation is um is uh. It's sometimes it's translated in Chinese. Literally, it's number. Um, um, so you can think of script and calculation uh, as you know uh, this, the word for script in modern Chinese is book, mm-hmm. um, but it's uh, traditionally referred to literally the, the script of the letters. Um, so so script and number, um, but it's not just math. So some people will translate this as mathematics. Mm-hmm. Um, it's broader than math. It's um, it includes things like astronomy, even divination, um, uh, you know, uh, geography. Um, it's we can just think of it as the art of quantifying the natural world. Wow, which which now this is fascinating because when you get back into Plato or you even get into Euclid, the idea of number is much more you know philosophical than it is material, right? right. Yeah, right. so that's really interesting. Yeah, so so. Um, and so the uh, so script and calculation are sort of the the means by which we understand the world that God has placed us in, um, and uh, um, and so that's the um, and and traditionally um, in the very beginning this was kind of in the six arts these were the kind of at the very bottom, mm. uh, and then Confucius really elevated uh, especially script. Uh, to kind of, kind of the, I mean, I would say probably for him, rights is still at the very top, but certainly the importance of the written word. And it was with Confucius where you get um, the the six classics, which were the which are kind of the foundational texts of not just Confucianism but Chinese um, classical culture in general. Mm-hmm. So these were these were memorized by children, um, and they, um, I mean, they're essentially they're they're scriptures. Um, and uh, and so uh, the Chinese classical tradition is again back to the right importance of writing. It's a it's a literary tradition um, 
that highly values the written word and, and, and the study of classical texts. And if you if you see if you um you know read Chinese um literature the the sort of story story kind of literature um uh you'll notice a lot of these tales um are about somebody like seeking a book uh, <laughs> and so I don't know if you've heard of like the the journey to the west the monkey king is a, this is a kind of a popular mm-hmm. t- tale but it's a it's um it's about a you know a group of these these guys who are in seek of these, these this book in the west and and uh and there's lots of uh, lots of examples I could give, but the the book is just a really important uh, idea. So, um, so script and calculation uh, uh, are um, yeah understanding language and then you know quantifying the natural world, and uh, and then the the, the final two um, actually in the very early on like they were they were in many ways at the very top. So they're sometimes listed in the listed first in the six uh, okay. six arts. Um, and that is, uh, and this is this is what usually gets the most attention when American when a, a Westerner sees the six arts. The, this like causes the most head scratching, uh, <laughs> which is um, archery and charioteering. Mm. And uh, archery and charioteering. Uh, I want those to be our arts. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, the, uh, they sound so cool, right? Uh, and uh, and of course, um, early on, they were uh, so valued because. You know they were very practical. They, mm-hmm. That that was their martial arts, and that's you know mastery of this is you know sort of your your mili- If your military is good at these things, you'll win the battles and you'll conquer. And and so, um, early on, there you know they pl- they placed a high value on these things. Later, in uh, in um, the Han Dynasty, um, which which began shortly before the uh, the year of of of, of Jesus, um, uh, the there was a policy that was passed uh, that literally is translated emphasize when uh, emph- uh, emphasize when over military arts. Mm. And so for much, for most of the Chinese classical tradition, kind of uh, martial arts were kind of, um, you know, pushed to the wayside and, you know, uh, literature was, was the main focus of, of, uh, of study. Um, but there were, there were, there were, Sort of reformers who would try and rise up every once in a while and try to recover martial arts education, and uh, they weren't so successful. And, and even today, uh, yeah, the, in in you know modern Chinese schools, it's the physical education is just it's just a little plaything you do on the side to get you know let students you know get out their energy, and then you're back to reading your books. Mm. Um, and we can talk later about just modern Chinese education, and uh, there's some interesting, really uh, stark parallels between that and some of the issues that arose in, in Chinese classical uh, history. But um, so archery and charioteering um, uh, initially, yeah, were, were, were quite practical, but very, very quickly, um, especially with, with uh, the rise of Confucius, um, Confucius lived around uh, 6th century BC or so. Um, and uh, uh, he um, really emphasized the ritual um, benefits of of archery and charioteering, especially archery, mm. um, and again a really striking parallel with Plato. So Plato also advocates for martial arts education um, for young children. Um, yeah. So you've got music education, and you've got the kind of the martial arts education. Gym- and, gymnasium, yeah, yeah was, was gymnasium, important, yeah. right? And uh, and he distinguishes actually Plato in 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 the Republic. He distinguishes between. Um, the the athletic education of sort of the 
the competitive athlete mm -hmm. and uh and the martial arts and he says um he advocates for martial arts because the competitive athlete practices um you know practices his his sport to train his body mm -hmm. but martial arts trains the soul yeah right and um and so confucius was is, is very sympathetic to that understanding and so yes there's a you know archery and charioting trains the body but it does this thing to our soul um where i mean and we all know you know um people who practice martial arts and it, you know they these people it doesn't they don't just become physically stronger but they become you know more disciplined yeah, and they yeah. and they you know they cultivate they, they're they become you know they come back from boot camp you know just with a different manner about them and they're you know this they're more courageous and um you know there's just these these sort of uh uh moral uh benefits yeah well it's it's interesting that you that you make that be um for for two reasons when c.s lewis talks about an abolition of man he uses the Tao as sort of as the right. you know as the natural law thing but what he advocates for is that thumatic um you know that that thumatic being developed which is what the martial arts that's that discipline the right. courage you know without being rash or being deficient being cowardly you know developing that part of the the person and that's what you seem to be describing right here. so so um Confucius, um, you know, one one thing, you know, if, if you think of of shooting a bow and arrow, and the um, the, the the types of of uh, of um, oh, I don't know, for lack of a better word, morals uh, that it would it cultivates. Um, uh, he he emphasizes, for example, the um, this idea of of aiming for a target, and and shooting it and you miss it a little bit and you shoot it again and you're just your your goal is to find the target and to nail it in the middle and you're not satisfied unless you get it right in the yeah. middle and so you keep trying and you work and you you practice and and all along like your goal is just to get right into the middle of the of the thing and he says now just as the you know the archer shoots the target the man uh you know a father's target is to be a good father and a son's target is to be a good son and um and so each man shoots at his own target, uh, and so the you know you can imagine the discipline of of archery. The you know you put in so much work just to get right at that bullseye, just right in the middle of that thing. Like that's all this is about is just getting right in the middle of the thing. And 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 this plays out in our social lives in many ways. And yeah. so the so we should just as the you know the archer spends all of his time trying to hit that target. That's how we should live with, you know, as our, in our roles as, you know, father or husband or, um, or king, um, we, we show the same devotion and earnestness to, to reach our target. Um, and so there's these, this sort of double benefit of, of the Chinese military education, you know, the, the, it's, certainly it's training the body. And there was, um, I, I should note that it's not just archery and charioteering, although that's what they classified it as but it, it includes all other aspects of martial arts mm -hmm. um and so there's you know they would do basically equivalent of weightlifting they would lift these yeah. they would have lift these big stones and they would have competitions even to see see that but then they would they would you know tighten the drawstrings and see who could pull the you know the the, the tightest drawstring um 
it's it's fascinating that you just use that that uh, I don't want to take us back too far, but the the idea of hitting the bullseye and how that's such a thing in life. But the Greek word for sin, right? Armatia. Yep. Yep. Or, I, I don't know it. if, if, yeah, if that, you were going there, yeah. but to miss the mark, right? Yeah, Is to it? miss the mark. Yeah. Uh, and so it's just <laughs> it's just incredible. The you know how again like this is the Lord's providence, like <laughs> yeah. just directing directing all this and putting all these ideas in the the minds of the ancients. And so, um, and 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 of course, uh, charioteering kind of is certainly the most interesting of the <laughs> of the six for for the. Uh, for the Westerner and uh, uh, and charioteering um, traditionally was exactly what it was what it sounds like. You learn how to how to drive a chariot, a horse drawn chariot. Um, um, but later, uh, the chariot um, be, uh, was kind of uh, was no longer used in battles. Um, it was it was seen as not as if not, not effective, and so it um, instead uh, charioteering kind of transitioned to uh, into equestrianism. So they mm. would. The archers would ride horses horseback instead of you know being pulled by a chariot, um, and so that kind of morphed into into equestrianism, um, and uh, and and um, the um, you know when people ask me, well, so how, how would you like how would a, a Chinese classical Christian school study charioteering, <laughs> right? Uh, which is a good question, and uh, the thing about this book is, um, my book is. Um, not so not uh, very uh not very prescriptive mm-hmm. so and that was that was intentional i didn't want to um to set out to kind of tell chinese christians like this is how you need to you know structure your schools this is exactly what you need to teach you know give them the i didn't want to give them the cookie cutter right uh, right uh and uh and so i i talk more about principles mm-hmm. and i give the general like this is what uh, most Chinese Christians don't know their classical, their, their Chinese classical tradition. And so I, in the first part of this book, I just give a, a brief history of the Chinese classical tradition. And then the second part, I, I discuss, you know, how as Christians can we redeem this? But I, I, I mainly just give broad outlines and I point out, okay, these are, this is the, what your ancestors considered to be sort of the foundation of, 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 a, of a good education. And these are the elements of it. But how that should play out in in you know a modern school, um, you decide. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so so when somebody asks me, uh, you know, well, how does how does archery play out in in you know modern school? I'd say, well, you decide. <laughs> <laughs> but I give some. I do point out some principles that um, that uh, I, I think are are helpful sort of guideposts. Um, and the interesting thing about archery and charioteering. Or archery and equestrianism is one. Um, archery was considered in in Chinese lore. Um, the bow and arrow represents um, dominion, mm. um, and so you'd have these archery rites. For example, when a boy first gets his first bow, he shoots an arrow in all four directions uh, because, and I'm quoting now from a Ch- ancient uh, Chinese classical text, because this is where his business lies. Uh-huh. Um, and the idea, um, and, and there's a famous, in, in Chinese mythology, there's a, a famous uh, guy, uh, um, figure called Hui. And uh, he was a famous archer uh, who basically brought order to the world through his bow. And so there were like seven sons, and he shot down six of the sons, <laughs> leaving the one son that we mm-hmm. see today. And so he's, he's bringing order to the world um, 
you know, taking dominion, if you will, from, you know, mm-hmm. of the world with his, with his bow and arrow. And so, so the bow and arrow uh, sort of represents man's dominion over the, the, the earth, um, uh, over the physical, sort of the, the, the physical, uh, uh, you know, physical parts of the earth. And then um, charioteering uh, is um, primarily taming an animal. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, how do you, I mean, how do you tame a horse? And, and especially in battle when there's all these things going, you know, arrows flying everywhere and swords and stuff, and you've got to, you've got to tame this horse and, and maneuver it, uh, you know, control it. And, uh, I mean, it's a living being. Um, and, uh, and so there's, uh, of course there's the, there's the, 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 the sort of, uh, you know, very practical aspect of just the maneuvering, how, like, how do you maneuver this object on a, on a battlefield? But, but there's also this aspect of, of controlling a living, taming the, yeah. the, the, the beasts. Um, and so, you know, from a Christian perspective, of course, uh, this harkens back to the, the creation mandate and, um, you know, God creates this world and he creates man and he tells man to have dominion over the earth and over the beasts. And so the bow and arrow, uh, the, the bow and the horse kind of represent this in the, in the Chinese classical tradition. And so um, I think, uh, you know, if, if Chinese classical Christian schools can in some way incorporate, you know, animal taming, <laughs> I, I, it kind of, it kind of gets at part of that. Uh, but then there's this, yeah, they're just the, you know, the, the uh, literally in Chinese um, charioteering is driving. Mm, yeah. And so there's this, this idea of, of driving, uh, you know, which, you know, it could be, I mean, in, in, in our world that we drive cars, we don't, you know, right. which with horsepower, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, and so there's, there's elements of that. And, uh, and I have some ideas, you know, of, of you know, how that might look, but, um, uh, I well, there's something I, in, not to get too too far off there, but I mean, just in in our own experience of driving a car, there is something to the um, something that uh, I think it was uh, John Salisbury talked about the liberal arts mm-hmm. becomes a kind of faculty, right? So right. when you drive, you know, when you're first learning, you're checking your mirrors and ten and two, and you're very mechanical about it. But when you're driving for for ten years, you know, you flip your blinker on without even consciously thinking. Right. You know what I mean? Because you've th- there's these things that become sort of natural in the way we do, and I, so I can imagine how, you know, especially something that's not automated like a car. You know, you've got everything from the mechanics of the actual chariot to the care of the animal and the training of the animal. There would be so many, um, you know, things to both intuit and and to develop in in maturity that that would be. Yeah, I'm just exploring in my mind, my imagination, thinking of all the ways that that would be beneficial. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and uh, C.S. Lewis mentions um, uh, makes the point. I forget which book it is um, that the tamed animal is um is the only animal that is uh occupying the space it was designed for mm. uh you know god created animals not to run wild but yeah. to be tamed by man like that's the that the, the tamed animal has achieved its purpose if you will yeah yeah uh, and in life and the, the untamed animals is still awaiting that purpose. awaiting that <laughs> and uh and so and and lewis points out he says um you know, in a, in a kind of a mysterious way, the tamed animal is in its master, much like we are in Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it, it, in some mysterious way, kind of takes on a, 
a person, the personality, or you know, of the yeah. of the master. And if you have, if you know, if you raise the dog or something like that, you 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 get what Lewis is getting at. Um, and so yeah, it's a very mysterious kind of kind of process of taming an animal and you know, in some way becoming one with it. Um, and of course, you know the the best you know horse racers. That is how they they you know they're just yeah. they talk about feeling like they're one with the horse. Uh, and you know they're just moving as one unit and um. And so there's uh, there's just a lot a lot there, um, but of the six arts, I mean the one like I've I've not found a a Chinese classical text that's like charioteering like the art of charioteering. <laughs> it's just um, it's uh, there's elements you know and and of you know of charioteering spread throughout various Chinese classical texts, um, but I think it was it was you know, the the, the these things were were primarily taught in in person and through through practice and uh, uh and so you know you there's a lot on you know script a lot on when uh there's a lot on rights there's a lot on rights but cherry carrying just kind of uh it, there's not a lot there even though it shows up you know archery and cherry tearing shows up on all over the place you know the importance of cherry archery and cherry tearing um and so there's just a lot of work there for Chinese Christians uh, <laughs> to kind of flesh out, but uh, so I, 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 yeah, I give a few. A Come few. to our school and you'll have your own horse. <laughs> hey, that would be awesome, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, you, you get assigned your own horse, just like like Harry Potter. You get your own owl, right? You, you get your own horse, and yeah. Uh, uh, this has been great, Brent. Well, um, the uh, link to the book uh, will be in the show notes here. But Redeeming the Six Arts, it's been published by Roman Roads Press, and. Um, this has been uh, fascinating, and I love even uh, Dr. Christopher Perrin does the foreword. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, I mean, the the whole book is just phenomenal. Not not just for the Chinese, although I know I realize what the direction the telos of the book is for, uh, but so much value in seeing even in our own tradition. So I just would highly recommend that our our listeners uh, get this and read it. Um, and there's so much value here. Now. As we sort of wrap up, um, Brent, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. This has been so educational for me and, and even more than just reading the book, just this conversation. But I'm, I'm wondering, you know, with the um, work that you've done, the experience you've had as an educator yourself, um, would you just, as, as we kind of wrap up, maybe just share your thoughts briefly, really on two things. You know, how do you see the state of education in America today from through the lens, you know, of, of having looked at, you know, Chinese uh, education and um, in the church? How do you see the state in America today? And then maybe just leave us with a final word. What, you know, is there a book or, or some call to action that you would recommend to our listeners? Yeah, so I, um, well, first of all, I'm really, uh, I'm really grateful for. I, I think I think it's right to to describe it as a classical Christian renewal. I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's something really big happening that people are realizing the value of this of this long tradition. And so, um, when we talk about the state of of you know American education, um, when I see that segment of what's happening there, you know, I get really excited. Um, of course, the uh, you know the uh, public education. I think I think we all agree it's yeah. it's just falling apart, and I think that's a good uh, personally, I, I, I think it's good. I, I, I don't want to, you know, treat the wound lightly. And, you know, it's, uh, um, uh, I think a lot of, a lot of, uh, people in the, 
in the non-classical world um really just think of education again as just this this uh um uh you know this avenue toward a job um <laughs> and you know you, you get your job credentials you know and then and then you know everything you've learned is just out the window like we're not learning to become uh uh to become gentlemen yeah. uh we're we're learning you know again just to just to get the job and of course in in the in china right now that's the Ch- chinese public education is the exact same way it's um uh, it's all about getting to the the um what they call the gaokao the uh college entrance exam mm. and so everything's just you know preparing to the test and then you pass the test and then you get to college where you can get a good job um and so i um I'm thankful for, and I think I think the I think America is much further along in this this renewal than than China is, um, and I'm thankful for you know the work that you do uh, and that you know the, like things like this podcast. Um, uh, but I do think too, um, even in our classical circles, you know, there's um, there's elements that still need further re- refining and uh, thinking through this. My questions in this that that I address in this book. Uh, I've I've started to reflect on some of the some problems that I've seen in even in the classical circles. For example, this infatuation with Latin. Mm. Um, there are uh, you know, um, and this was the case for me. I know when I got really excited about classical Christian education, like the uh, I I thought I, I was first attracted to studying Latin just because it's different. Yeah, it's like yeah. wasn't well, that that's just neat <laughs> it's just different it's something you know you can talk like a harry potter or you know like, or like you know do your spells or whatever but uh it's just it's a novel and, and interesting and um but but i think uh um you know a lot of people study latin you ask them well, why are you studying latin um and uh you know the more th- i think the more thoughtful people may say something you know like um you know, well, it it uh, exercises, you know, your mental faculties, and it, uh, you know, it's just it's good exercise for your mind. I mean, I've heard these kinds of arguments um, uh, a lot, um, but uh, you know, I think for a lot of people, uh, it's just it's the thing you do. It's like, well, this I'm studying classical education, and Latin is just it's classical, yeah. and so we just do it, and then you can show off to your friends, and they'll be impressed with you know your Latin, and that's kind of the extent of of how far we think about it, um, and uh, but um, you know I've been really encouraged. I've seen some in, in this. There's a there's a there's a kind of Latin revival, a, a renewal of Latin education in classical circles that's happening where the emphasis isn't. Um, certainly, it's not on you know just learn Latin to sound like you're right, right. like you're really educated and uh, you impress your friends. Um, and, and it's not even the emphasis isn't even in and uh, you know Sayers in uh, Dorothy Sayers in her in her uh, uh, recovering the lost tools of learning um, kind of makes the emphasis here, which is you know it's it's exercises your mind. At um, in the in the sort of 18th 19th century, there's this this um, debate. Uh, in the West about, you know, the value of Latin and, uh, is it necessary? Um, and the, the Latin apologists, um, basically, um, just talk, they, they use the word, I think uh, something like mental discipline, it, you know, mm. it, and it, it disciplines the mind more than, you know, these other languages. Um, and there's, I think there's some truth to that, but, um, I think we need to go beyond that. 
because um, when I uh, think about, you know, should Chinese classical Christian schools study Latin? No, oh, yeah. Um, which is a question, and, and in the book, my my answer is actually for for like K through twelve, like primarily no. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just what? How can you have <laughs> classical education without without Latin? Uh, now, I, I I suggest that it's it's worth studying um, later, maybe at the very end of high school or into college. But um, but I think we need to get at the like. Well, in order to answer that question, you need, you need to know why. Why do you study the the language in the first place? Like, what's the reason? And um, for Latin, and the primary reason should be it allows us to read, to access this the Latin, wealth, yeah, yeah. The, the Latin literature, like yeah. the wealth of literature, um, and if you will, the Tao that is that is within these, you know, this vast uh, amount of of literature that we can access in English. Yeah, um, and that's that's the same reason why I. I, uh, you know, for the, for Chinese students, like they need to study classical Chinese so that they yeah. can access this wealth of literature. And so there's there's little things like this where we, we I think I think it would be helpful for the for us in the Western classical tradition to really just think about the the reasons why we're doing what we're doing, um, the the principles. We're not just doing the cookie cutter thing like, oh look, our ancestors studied Latin, so we'll study Latin. The end. <laughs> right. We need to ask why did they study Latin? Yeah. Um, why did they study these other things? And so, and and so I'm encouraged. I mean, I've, I, I'm seeing people an- asking these questions and answering these questions, but I still feel like we're very young. And when I see, you know, where our ancestors were, like we're not there, yeah, right? <laughs> uh, and so I'm I'm optimistic and I'm hopeful um, about where we're headed, um, but. Uh, yeah, in many ways, and this is, I tell my Chinese colleagues this as well. I was like, you do know, like, we're just little babies in this as well. Figure, yeah, right? just, we're still figuring, figuring it out. out. Yeah, and so, uh, and so that's, uh, th- those are just a few thoughts there. Well, that's, a, uh, it's it's really good. I, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, you spoke earlier about, and, and I don't remember if it's the when, I think it's the. Yeah, I, the yeah, when. The uh-huh. when about the Chinese, about the tiger, right? Yeah. The, some just thought of it as the skin, but there's like, no, the wind needs to be like the tiger. Like that's the, it's what it is, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that seems to be, um, I've said this before, not just about classical education, but just about Christian schools. A lot of times what Christians do is like we, we put a Bible class and maybe chapel, but then we just do school, you know, in a secular way, right? We, right. we, we haven't thought through what it means. We just, but we're going to slap this on it to make it Christian. Right. And it's almost like, well, to make this a classical education, we'll slap Latin on there, but right. not understanding, you know, that's just like the skin on the tiger, but not understanding what, what it's really for and what we're doing. And right. that would make a lot of sense for the Chinese to study, you know, the classic language of their people. They can access these texts and, and these ideas. Yeah. I think that's really helpful. Also, I, uh, just at NSA, we faculty, we've been, for the last few months here, we've been asking the question, what does it mean, what, what, are, what are the humanities, mm-hmm. and what's the difference between the humanities and the liberal arts? Um, and for f- um, one of the key issues that we've been talking about is, um, well, why do we at New St. Andrews like, emphasize these Western texts? Like, why don't we, why isn't Confucius at the heart of our curriculum? Um, and... Uh, um, one of the answers to that question is, well, these are our people, um, yeah. uh, and um, I I think that's another another question worth asking just for us in the West here is, you know, well, 
why do we study that there's i mean there's lots of classical texts out there there's texts from you know the indian tradition and you know the japanese tradition there's all these out there why are we picking these specific mm-hmm. western texts um and of course there's value in the texts themselves and just you know they they um teach things well um but it it's not just because of that i mean the confucius teaches things well and yet why isn't he you know at the heart of our curriculum um and so i think i think there's um it's worth us uh, pursuing this line of just thought, like um, uh, to to answer the question in, at New Saint Andrews, where uh, it does come back to you know what tradition to who are our fathers, yeah. right? What what tradition do we belong to, um, and then what does that mean as uh, you know for which books, which kinds of books we um, we teach, and um, and I and I do want to just make a point that I, I didn't make earlier, which is in the Chinese. Um, in my book and uh, in the Chinese classical Christian tradition, um, I, I think it's helpful for us to think of sort of two kinds of fathers. So we've got the our fathers in Christ, our spiritual fathers, and then we've got our earthly fathers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of the, the paradigm that I use in the book. And so when we ask, you know, who are our people? Um, I, I say in the book, you know, it, a Chinese Christian should first think first of Calvin before yeah. Confucius, right? Mm, yeah, like, yeah. Um, our, our primary identity is in Christ, and and wherein um, we are we are learning from these fathers. You know, our curriculum is going to share a lot of similarities with yeah. our brothers and sisters around the world. And so, I do advocate for you know Augustine's Confessions. You know, studying these in, in Chinese classical Christian schools. Um, uh, and so, there's there's an important place for that. And so I think, I think we, that is where we need to locate our primary identity, but then we've got this other identity, which is it's bound more to time and place. Um, and God has given us specific fathers. And he says, you honor that. Father. Of yeah. course we, we honor other fathers in some general sense, but our primarily primary duty is to honor our own fathers. And so who are our fathers? Right. I think that's a, that, that's a, a question that I, I would like to see more, more people discuss for our own circles and to help us kind of decide yeah so who are our fathers and therefore who who should we study um uh so yeah those are just a, few, that's few a one, yeah those are wonderful thoughts well brent uh i know we could probably go on for a very long time there's so many uh things that you alluded to that just have already piqued my interest that you know i want to you know explore further and so i really appreciate the things you've brought up and and, and shared with our audience um We'll make again. We'll make this available in the show notes. Um, Brent, uh, thank you. Uh, keep on doing the good work you're doing. Thank you. And uh, hope we get to have some more conversations well, like this. Thank you for having me. This is a blast. All right. So long, everybody.